0: Well, as we look into God's sacred word this morning, I would like you to take your Bibles and turn to the very same place we've been the last two weeks, and that is Ephesians chapter 5. We will look this morning at verses 15 through 20. Two weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 5, we had that awe-inspiring command— Therefore, be imitators of God. We are to look deeply at the character of God and all of its beauty and wonder and seek to be like him. Because we are his beloved children. And we are to walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. And we are to be a thankful people. A people of thanksgiving. And then last week, we saw that we were darkness. Not just part of the darkness, but we were darkness. But now we are light in the Lord. And so we are to walk as children of light. And those are the two big subsections of the first part of Ephesians 5. And that is, be imitators of God and walk as children of light. Be imitators of God And walk as children of light. And then we come to verses 15 through 20. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, our first point this morning is be careful how you live. As imitators of God and as children of light, we are to consider very carefully how we live our lives. Look carefully means to observe, to ponder, to think about. Think about how you walk. Be very careful. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because because the days are evil. Now, obviously, this section... When Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, he's directly referencing what he's just said in the first 14 verses about being imitators of God and walking as children of light. Therefore, be careful. Be careful how you walk. And he says, not as unwise, but as wise. Unwise here is literally the polar opposite of what we would call biblical Wisdom. Unwise means to look at all of life separated from God, separated from Scripture, separated from any belief or view of eternity. It is to look at things in a completely secular, unbiblical way. And so Paul says, be careful. Careful how you live your life. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise. Not leaving God out, not leaving the wisdom of Scripture out, but is wise. And wisdom here refers primarily to two things, two beautiful, wonderful things, which are the wellspring of the wisdom that we have as believers in Jesus Christ, as Christians. First of all, our wisdom comes from knowing Christ. It comes from the fact that That Paul tells us that we have the mind of Christ. That Jesus Christ, by the indwelling Holy Spirit, the resurrected and living Christ, lives within us. He is our power. He is our wisdom. Also, our wisdom comes from having our minds saturated with Scripture. The Bible is the wisdom of God. You want the wisdom of God? then look at Scripture because it is the unveiling of the very wisdom of God. Let's think about that. Wisdom is knowing Christ. It is having Christ live in us. 1 Corinthians one thirty. If you've heard me preach over the years, and I realize not everyone here has, you may know that 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 30, is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. It was the theme verse for my ordination service way back in the mid-90s for my ordination council. That is the, the verse I went to, my go-to verse that has meant so much to me in my Christian love, life. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, And because of Him, because of God, because of God's work in your life, You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus Christ is your wisdom. He is your righteousness. He is your sanctification. He is your redemption. It is not... Those things are not something out there. They are something in here. They are something that we have in the very person and work of... Of Jesus Christ. Who became to us. Who became to us. Wisdom. From God. And we find wisdom in the scriptures. Oh. Dozens of verses we could use. Just one example. 2 Timothy 3.15. Where Paul says to Timothy. And how from childhood. You have been acquainted with the sacred writings. The Bible. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Be filled with the very person of Christ and let your mind be saturated with Scripture. Then he says this, verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Again, I'm going to share something with you I've shared a number of times over the years, but some of you may not be familiar with it. Paul uses the phrase, the time. Time in the Bible can be looked at in usually, generally, one of two ways. In what is known as chronos and what is known as kairos. Chronos refers to time on a clock. It is seconds, it is minutes, it is hours. We would measure it in days, chronos. It is chronological. It is chronology. That's where we get those words from. The other way to look at time is kairos, which refers to an epoch of time, a distinct period of time. We might say, do you remember the time or learning about the time of the Civil War? It is known as the Civil War period in American history, or World War II, a specific epoch of time, or we may look to the 1960s and, and refer to it as the Civil Rights Movement, that period of time where that was so prominent in our nation. And the word that Paul uses here is kairos, not kranos, but kairos. Make the best use of Your time here on earth. Notice the definite article before the word time. It is not just make the best use of time. It is make the best use of the time. The time. And that time is referring to your life here on earth. This is your sovereignly ordained time on earth. And he's saying make the best use of it. Use it wisely. This is your time. You weren't born in 1430s, or in the 1430s. You weren't born in the 1750s. You weren't born in the 1890s. You were born now. This is your time. It's like the coach of an athletic team. Could be any sport, could be any level. But they come to play in the championship game whatever level it may be at and the coach says to them this is your time we may never be back here again this is a unique opportunity you need to give your very best your very best you need to leave it all on the field you need to leave it all on the court because this is your time don't let anyone take it away from you this is your time and that is what Paul is saying here. Make the best use of your life. You only get one chance. This is it. It's like that old saying, this is all there is, there ain't no more. You get one life. One body, one life, and this is your time. You're not living someone else's time period, you're living your time period. This is a phenomenal, powerful command. Make the best use of your time on this earth. Use it for the glory of God. Use it for the advancement of the gospel. Use it to be all that you can be for Christ. And we are to do that because the days are evil. I think of a story that I read about. Back in the 16th century there was what was known as the protestant reformation some of you i know are very familiar with it some of you may not be familiar with it all with it at all but in the 16th century and there were things happening before and after the 16th century but that was the primary period of time for this protestant reformation it was the time when individual Christians and churches were breaking away from the Roman Catholic Church because of disagreements that they had with the church at that time. And so those who broke away were known as the protesters. They were known as the Protestants, or what we say today as the Protestants. We, First Baptist Church of St. John's, we are a Protestant church. And in that period of time, there were some key figures in that time that really stood out being used by God, men and women. One of those men was Philip Melanchthon. He was a very close associate of Martin Luther's. Melanchthon was known for his studiousness for advancing Christian education and authoring all kinds of material that were used by God during the time of the Reformation. And it is said of Philip Melanchthon that he used to keep a record of every wasted moment each day and then took his list to God in confession at the end of each day. Now, I'm not saying we need to go to that extreme. But that really helps us To understand what Paul is saying here. Philip Melanchthon was an extraordinarily productive individual. The volumes of his work are amazing. He was a man who wanted to make the best use of the time. That was a difficult time period. Many, many Christians were persecuted and martyred for their faith. And he says, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. And folks, we need to understand something. We live in a difficult time. We find many in our culture who oppose what we stand for and boldly doing so. But this is not new for Christians. There have been many times in history, many times in history, that have been even worse than the time period we are living in. Biblically, this world has always and always will oppose God and his people. This world always has and always will oppose the people of God. So the thought is, make the best use of your life. Make the best use of the time. Because the days are always evil. And when you get your chance, which is right now, make the best of it knowing At whatever time period you live in, the days are going to be hard and they are going to be evil. So, if we are living carefully and if we are making the best use of the time, there are two major things we must not do. Look at verses 17 and the first part of verse 18. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine... that is debauchery. First of all, he says, do not, therefore, do not be foolish. This is not a difficult translation at all. It means what it says, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. He has already said in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 5, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Verses 11 and 12. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. Don't have anything to do. Don't be foolish. But foolishness here means more than just not participating in the deeds of darkness. It means don't lose control of who you are. It means don't go to extremes. Sometimes when we see the culture around us and all that is happening and the moral revolution that is taking place, which seems sometimes to overwhelm us, we feel like giving up. We feel like just saying it doesn't matter. It's going to happen no matter what I do. They're going to do in Washington whatever they want to do. And we just kind of cave in and we just kind of drop out. Or we go to the other extreme. We become hyperactive. I got to do it all. I got to go change the world. I got to make a difference. And so we try to be involved in every ministry. We try to be involved in every cause that is out there that we believe in. And we just literally run ourselves ragged and wear ourselves out. And Paul is saying here, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And here's the thought we understand the will of the Lord as we abide in the Lord. And we practice what are known as the Christian disciplines on a daily basis. What are the Christian disciplines? Well, I'll give you some examples. Scripture reading is a Christian discipline. Scripture memorization. Scripture meditation. Prayer. Fasting. Coming together with the people of God in worship and fellowship, whether it's in the larger group gathering on the first day of the week or whether it's in smaller groups other times during the week. We build into one another's lives. We fellowship with one another and as we practice the Christian disciplines we seek with the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ we seek to know what God would have us to do we seek his will for our lives here's what scripture says here's what my spiritual gifts are here's what my brothers and sisters have helped me to see in my life and so I'm not foolish But I'm going to do what God would have me to do. I can't do it all. But I do want to be as effective as I can with the spiritual gifts that God has given me. So help me to make the best use of the time. Help me not to be foolish. But help me to understand what God's will is for me. And that's the thought here. What God's will is for me. And then he says this. And do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery interesting little section here that he kind of quickly turns to the subject of drunkenness and that is the subject here I'm going to say something very sensitive this morning some of you may like that I say it some of you may not he is not talking about drinking alcohol in moderation okay this is not what he's talking about if you think that you're missing the whole point here Drinking alcohol in moderation has for centuries been a very debated and controversial subject among evangelical born-again Christians. It is, and some of you may not even be aware of this, it is a very controversial subject right now with Christians falling on both sides of the issue. It's not what he's talking about here. And if your mind goes there, you are missing the whole point. He's not talking about drinking in moderation. He's talking about drunkenness. That is clearly his thought. Because drunkenness is one of the great counterfeits that Satan uses to try to imitate the filling of the Holy Spirit, which we will look at in just a few minutes. People, sometimes even Christians, Take alcohol to the excess and think if they get drunk, if they get into some kind of stupor, it will bring them happiness or joy. That they will be able to forget all their worries and all of their problems by just getting drunk, just kind of giving into it. But there's a more specific context here. In Ephesus, and Paul's readers of this letter would have understood it immediately. Immediately would have understood. In Ephesus, there was a great temple worship, false temple worship, where they would worship false gods and they would go into the temple and they would purposely just get as drunk as they could so that they could reach some form of ecstasy, so that they could commune with the gods, talk with the gods. In this drunken stupor. And so Paul says. Do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery. Debauchery means to do something in excess. Trying to reach some kind of point of ecstasy by your excess. But I liked what one commentary said. Debauchery here basically means self-destruction. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is self-destructive. And that leads us to our second important point this morning, and that is be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 gives us a straightforward life-changing command that cuts to the core of the entire Christian life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. One writer said this. He said, apart from the command to be saved, apart from that command, this is the most important command in all of Scripture because you can't live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit. And his power. Now tonight, interesting how this fell. Didn't plan it this way. Tonight we're going to look at the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The greatest commandment. And be filled with the Holy Spirit is a synonym for the greatest commandment. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is a synonym for means the same thing as the greatest commandment of them all. I want you to notice some things. It is a command and not an option. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And since we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, it means we're not always filled with the Spirit. So let me just back up. Small theology lesson. We, when you come to receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are indwelt. Permanently, by the Holy Spirit. We learn this in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. We learned about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is always there in you, but the Holy, excuse me, the Holy Spirit does not always have all of you. The Holy Spirit always lives within you, but he does not always fully control you. What is the filling of the Holy Spirit? The filling of the Holy Spirit is submitting to God, surrendering to God so fully that the Holy Spirit controls our entire being. That's the goal. Should be the goal daily for all of us. It involves the filling of the Holy Spirit. Involves moment by moment, day by day, submission and surrender to the Spirit's control. In all that I think, all that I say, in my attitudes, in my motives, in all that I do, Lord, I submit to you, I surrender to you. And we can't rely on a past filling or wait for a future filling. It's not, well, I had this great experience in the past, Or, yeah, someday I really want that. No, it's right now. It's right now. It's moment by moment walking with him, wanting him to fill every part of my being, controlling me. Over the years, I've gathered some wonderful word pictures that, at least for me, have been helpful to me, analogies, maybe not perfect, ...but helpful... ...in what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One... ...it's been compared to an Alka-Seltzer tablet. You put it in a glass of water. The tablet's there. But then the tablet... ...explodes. Fills the glass. And that's one word picture. It is filling the whole glass. Now... ...can't do this, but if we could... ...if that Alka-Seltzer tablet... ...could contract and expand you know, go up, go down. The tablet's always there. The Holy Spirit's always there. But we want it to release and have every part of the glass fill the whole glass. Another word picture is it's like certain emotions that sometimes control us. You ever seen a person who's just filled with anger? They are so angry, it literally controls them. Every part of their being, we might even use the phrase they're out of control. Or, and I have seen this many times as a pastor, I have seen people filled with grief and sorrow. Literally takes over their whole being. They are so filled with grief and with sorrow. And the thought here, It's to be so surrendered to the Holy Spirit, so submissive to Him moment by moment that He takes over our entire being. Some have compared it to a glove. It's a famous illustration of being filled with the Spirit. If I have a a glove here, that glove by itself just sitting here does nothing. So it is with the Christian, without the Holy Spirit, we do nothing really. For the power, or excuse me, for the glory of God. It's all our own strength and our own power. But once you put that hand in the glove, the glove does whatever the hand wants it to do. The hand, the Holy Spirit, is in control of the entire glove. My favorite illustration for me, may not be for you, my favorite illustration is of a sailboat. It could be a large sailboat with a huge mast that they wrap up and then let go when the wind comes up. It could be a small sailboat where they turn the sail to catch the wind. But that sailboat could be moved along by the ripples in the water. It could kind of move along if you paddled it. But that's not what you want if you're sailing a sailboat. You want the wind to fill up that sail. And just take over that sailboat. And if you've ever been to the lake, and I I love to watch this, and maybe it's the theology in me, but you know those lighter fiberglass sailboats that they have today? You know, they'll turn it just to catch the wind just right. And you watch that sailboat coming along the lake, and it's fast. It's like it's gliding on ice. It just skims across the water. And I think that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It does. You just want that wind to take over and engulf you and move you along and do whatever God wants you to do. Do whatever Christ wants you to do. It's interesting. One great biblical picture of being filled with the Holy Spirit is when Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Now, you may say, wasn't Jesus always filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes, he was. But the Bible actually points that out, makes specific mention of it so that we are aware of it. Luke chapter 4, verse 1, a great example. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. It says of Jesus that he was full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And filled with the Holy Spirit. He could look Satan in the eyes and say it is written, it is written, it is written. Or another great biblical picture is those famous words of John the Baptist. In John 3 and verse 30. He must increase but I must decrease. Oh that's the goal. He must increase. I must get out of the way. I must decrease how do I know if I'm spirit filled well this passage provides the answer this is important oh my this is important how do I know if I'm spirit filled verses 19 and 20 Excuse me, at the end of verse 18, it says, But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you read many commentaries, and people have preached on this over the years, they tend to really get kind of bogged down, and I'm not saying it's wrong, with... What is a psalm versus what is a hymn versus what is a spiritual song? I'm not going to go there this morning, and here's why. Because again, again, I don't want us to miss the big picture. I don't want us to miss the point. Here's the point. When you, because psalms, let me say this, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs simply refer to all different kinds of music, different kinds of ways of expressing praise and worship here's the big picture that I don't want you to miss this morning if you are filled with the Holy Spirit your heart your life is filled with joy and you deeply desire to come together with the people of God in praise in praise and worship of our great Savior you can't wait to come among the assembly of the redeemed and lift up praise and worship and and even when you are alone you just want to praise him you just want to worship him it's Psalm 37 4 delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart you know what it's saying here the person who is filled with the Holy Spirit will delight themselves in the Lord So, we address one another, sing to one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and we sing and make melody to the Lord, to the Lord, with our heart, from the depths of our being. And, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are a grateful people. We are filled with thanksgiving. We are filled with gratefulness. We are so thankful for our salvation. We are thankful for the daily mercy and kindness and grace of God because without it, we would be destroyed. We are so thankful for everything. At the end of verse 4, it says, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Gratefulness and thankfulness. And notice what he says, giving thanks always and for everything. Always for and everything. I don't know that you can get more encompassing than that. How what should we be thankful for? Everything. How often? Always. To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the person who is spirit-filled is filled with the joy of the Lord and can't wait to give praise to God and be thankful to God. Let me say this in the negative. When you are griping and complaining, when you are negative and critical, when you are filled with bitterness and envy and jealousy, you are not, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Mark it down. Make note of it. When you're griping and complaining, when you're negative and critical, When you're filled with bitterness and envy and jealousy, you are not, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a real life, down to earth, step on everybody's toes here this morning illustration. If you walk away today from this church service and the first thing you do is complain about something you didn't like in the service, I will tell you this, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, period. You come to church on Sunday, you go to Sunday school, you come, you gather with the people of God, and when you walk away, you constantly find yourself complaining or griping about something at the church. You are not, you are not filled with the Holy Spirit. I have in your bulletin, it'll be on the screen, what I think is one of the best explanations, of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's a quote from John MacArthur. I just leave it with you today as we end. To be filled with the Spirit is to live in the consciousness of the personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ as if we were standing next to him and to let his mind dominate our life. It is to fill ourselves with God's word so that his thoughts will be our thoughts, his standards, our standards, his work, our work, and his will, our will. As we yield to the truth of Christ, the Holy Spirit will lead us to say, do, and be what God wants us to say, do, and be. That's it. I'm getting older so I can say this now. In the old days... In the older days, you used to hear a lot more about practicing the presence of Jesus. Don't hear that as much anymore. But that's what this means. It means to practice the presence of Jesus. To see him as right next to you. Always. Do you know why? Because he is. Because he is. And not just to find that comforting but to want his strength, his power, to say what he wants you to say, to do what he wants you to do, to think what he wants you to think, to be filled with the Spirit. The next two weeks, we're going to look at two pretty tough commands. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You can't do those two things if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why the context is so beautiful here, so important. You want to live out those two commands. It can only be done. It can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Oh, I pray that each and every one of us would desire deeply to obey this command. Be filled be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be very careful how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Help us to make the best use of the time, the time, this life that we have on this earth. And, oh God, help us to deeply desire To be filled with your Holy Spirit. That we may please you in everything that we do. In Jesus name. Amen.